Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third episode of the Bad Motor GP show. We are reviewing the races in Indonesia. So, Kilin, you enjoyed them? Yes. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode number three. And as Leo just said, we are just back from Indonesia, not literally, but in spirit. And it was a great weekend. It really, really was. We had weather, we had lightning, we had crashes. We had high sides, we had fire, we had everything and just about. So yeah, I had a great time watching it. Didn't have a great time staying up for it. I nearly died, but being an MMA fan, you're kind of used to it. So yeah, great weekend. What did you think, Leo? Uh, I thought it was a great weekend. I loved it. Um, starting with the parade, uh, the way uh, the fans interacted with the riders and all the love that uh, was shown towards MotoGP was really amazing and I think it's uh, beneficial to the sport if they expand more out of Europe, especially more out of Spain into those uh, huge markets for uh, those manufacturers. And the fans seem to be uh, all in about MotoGP. The track was a little bit of an issue there. Yeah. So I guess we can discuss this uh, first because before we head into the races so what's uh, your opinion on the track issues there yeah um this has obviously been the big issue that's been discussed by pretty much every media outlet all over the weekend um look it's the first year in about 25 odd years that moto gp's been in indonesia so there's going to be some teething issues feeding it back into the calendar i don't think anybody would expect otherwise but there were quite a lot of issues with the track all weekend. There was no grip really for any of the bikes, which was a nightmare. Everybody was basically going out there like they were on a sheet of ice, which is obviously a nightmare on any kind of Grand Prix bike, especially a Moto2 or a MotoGP bike. Um, my other issue with the track was turn nine. Um, everybody was getting long lap penalties from turn nine just because they kept cutting through it by accident. Um, I think that part of the track was pretty poorly designed, if I'm honest. Um, for next year, that's the one big improvement I'd really like to see. That turn 9, turn 10 sector, I'd like to see them redesign, maybe make it a bit sharper, because it was just completely getting overshot by everybody throughout free practice qualifying on the race. So it wasn't the best track I've ever seen. Still not as bad as Austin last year. That was just on another level. But it, it, it wasn't perfect, I'm not going to lie. And there are a lot of changes I would like to see. What did you think of the track? Um, with the layout, I'm really satisfied. And I guess uh, these things that you pointed out will figure themselves out if riders uh, get more experience on the track. But uh, what can't happen is that the asphalt seemingly was uh, not stable enough. I never heard of it even before. There, um, Alex Rins posted this pic where he had all those little dots oh, yeah. from the asphalt on his chest and things like this can't happen. And it's uh, a real shame that we had to um, had to cut the race distance down to in Moto3, uh, no, in Moto2, it was like two thirds and in MotoGP, it was uh, three fourths. And that's just uh, unacceptable. They have to fix that. But apart from that, I'm, I'm really, really happy. So uh, I guess we will jump into Moto3. And uh, I mean, we have to talk about Dennis Foggia. What a man. How did you experience this Moto3 race? Oh, man, it was a fantastic race. You know, qualifying was good. 
race itself was good. And like you just said, the main man of the hour, Dennis Foggia, was brilliant the whole race. You know, the first three or four laps, uh, he was in he was in the podium spots anyway. He was sort of fighting um, with Carlos Tatai and the people around him. But when he got in front, he just never looked like giving it up. Uh, just went around totally smooth, banging out lap after lap after lap, like Francesco Bagnaia when he's actually doing good. Um, yeah, just a really, really good race all around. You know, when Foggia got the pedal down, he just never looked like being caught. You know, there's not much more I can say. He was just smooth, calm, composed. He took it at his own pace. And he won very dominantly. The race with the rest of the pack behind him was just some of the best Moto3 racing I've seen in probably the last two or three years. And it's actually something I'd love to hear your thoughts on as well, because those battles, everywhere from second to about 10th, were just brilliant the whole race. Yeah, there's so much to talk about. And regarding Dennis Foggia, I mean, he was uh, in the perfect place at the perfect time because... Just when he got in front, Minyu had the mistake where he tucked the front and saved the bike, luckily for him. And um, though there he got like 7-10th. And afterwards, the uh, Gasgas uh, riders were battling uh, pretty, pretty intense. So this helped him to break the slipstream. And the Honda is a missile in itself. Dennis Foggia is an amazing rider and he never looked back. So he's living up to all the expectations and is doing a fantastic job even in qatar he did a fantastic job and uh he's he seems like a man on a mission he's pissed off that he didn't win the championship last year and man excited to see it but um not much to talk about uh apart from that but yeah uh, regarding um... regarding dennis foggia but uh the gas gas boys holy moly this was <laughs> This was amazing to watch. And um, I felt like Sergio Garcia was, was riding with a sense of urgency that uh, he had to overtake Guevara. He had to be aggressive because it looked like a little bit that he wasn't 100% comfortable. Maybe it's an issue with the bike, maybe with the setup, I don't know. But uh, he was he had a pretty big sense of urgency and... Um, Guevara seemed like uh, seemed like the better rider today with with uh, more raw pace, but uh, yeah, the way they were battling was totally amazing. But from a team perspective, uh, this was super unfortunate because if they would have been able to work together, they could have broken away from the. Um, from the pack behind them not sure if they would be able to catch foggia but i believe that they could have gained a little bit and uh, locked out the podium but they fucked it up <laughs> yeah i mean uh you know you know you've had a good weekend when only finishing second and fourth can be remotely considered as fucking it up but um yeah i mean yeah, can't complain about weekend. it but they yeah, could but have like had it easier you know yeah, exactly. You know, we may as well be surgical and methodical about the whole process. But yeah, Garcia and Guevara look brilliant all weekend. They look like they've really gelled with those new Hondas very, very quickly. And they both had just perfect race pace all weekend. They really did. Isan uh, Guevara looks like a rider who's 10 years beyond how old he actually is. You know, he rode with such maturity, which is just... 
you know, he was a rookie, I think, last year in the class, yes. if I'm not wrong. And he rode like he's been in that class for 10 years. He rode absolutely perfectly, hit every apex perfectly, every overtake perfectly, you know, just looked so comfortable on the track. Sergio Garcia, much of the same. He was unfortunate to miss out on the podium to Carlos Tata. You know, it was really a last half of the last lap affair where really whoever was in front at that point was going to get the podium. You know, he just as easily could have been on the podium as Tatai was, but still had a really, really great race. Very entertaining to watch. Like you said, he, he had a, that's actually the perfect way I'd sum up Sergio Garcia's race. He looked like he had a real sense of urgency to get out in front as quick as possible and stay there. And for the most of the race, he did that really, really well. I thought his battle with Carlos Tatai was fantastic to watch from beginning to end. And I think that's a battle we're going to see a lot of this season. I really do. And it's one I'm look, looking forward to watching as well. But as for the whole weekend, it couldn't have been a great deal better for Gas Gas. You know, both riders look good. They look quick. They look comfortable. And they'll be challenging for that title. I'm pretty sure they will be. Yeah, of course. But as I said, the only thing that they have to figure out how to work together, because, uh, I mean, it's more than three. Everything could have happened. Maybe uh, Sasaki would have taken Garcia out. You you don't know. Exactly, yes. And uh, to avoid these things for the future, I would hope that they would work a little bit better together. But apart from that amazing weekend, and they seem to be uh, the top KDMs. Yeah. And um, yeah, speaking of a top KDM, what about Carlos Tatai? He had an, he had an amazing race. Yeah. Yeah, Carlos Tatai was brilliant. He really, really was. You know, he's moved to that CF Moto team and he is just taking the ball by the horns. He really is. You know, he he looked brilliant last time out. He looked great this weekend as well. You know, again, he's a lot like Garcia and Guevara. He looks like he's just gotten onto that bike and it's like he's been riding it for two or three years. You know, that adaptation has just come so quickly. And Tatai had a brilliant race and a really, really good weekend. Like I said with Garcia, it, it was really the flip of a coin who got on the podium after Guevara and Foggia. But on the balance of the race, you can argue it was well-deserved as well. I mean, Tatai was persistent in that top five, and he just never really let go. He was like a pit bull all race, and he managed to pip Garcia to it, so... Massive yeah. credit to Carlos Tatai, had a brilliant weekend. Yeah, I mean, he came uh, from the back two times. I mean, he started on pole, then he had the um, had the mistake where he went, uh, went uh, wide and fo uh, had fallen back a little bit. And uh, then he had the long lap penalty for the shortcutting, I guess. Um, I think that was which turn you mentioned. Nine. Yeah, which you mentioned earlier. Mm. And... Um, He came back through the field after the long lap and totally deserved. And I'm also very, very happy for his team, uh, Bristol GP, because as we all know, they lost uh, their rider last year. And uh, it's good that they regrouped and see some success. So I'm really happy for them. And also Carlos Tatai, he is a, he's a great talent. And if he can uh, continue to perform like this, he has a bright future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the next part I want to talk about uh, is Andrea Mignot because he had a good race. Not great, but good. 
and I also thought he had this sense of urgency where he had to be aggressive because I didn't feel like he had that raw pace again. Uh, but overall, he had a good race. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. But he got unlucky a couple of times uh, where he, um, not unlucky, he made a mistake where he touched, uh, I believe it was Garcia's rear wheel. I don't know exactly which one it was, but um, yeah. And then he got uh, taken out. He, no fault of his own, which uh, total fault to Sasaki. It was unnecessary and ruined his race. But overall, he had a good race, not great, but Sasaki. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> first of all, I'm glad you mentioned the Prostol uh, team. Rest in peace, Jason Dubahaski. Gone but never forgotten. Much love to the Bristol Grand Prix team. Uh, yeah, um, Andrea Mignu had a decent race. Um, at the start, he got swallowed up by the pack on the straight, and he spent pretty much all of his race trying to fight and claw back into the top five. Uh, he did that pretty well, I thought. Um, I thought he managed the pressure pretty well, especially from Dennis Anchu, who is really on his tail most of the race. But um, you're absolutely correct, um, and I'm really glad you mentioned it. He really got he really got his three strikes, and he was out. Unfortunately, the third one was no fault of his own. But you know, he made a mistake in one of the opening turns, got swallowed up. Second mistake, you know, he was literally about an inch away from hitting Sergio Garcia's rear tire and high siding both of them out of the track. He was very lucky he didn't make any contact. And yeah, you know, on like the second to last turn, you know, Tatsudi Suzuki just came in, took him out. And yeah, it was just really bad luck. Um, it was no uh, Sasaki, not Suzuki. Or Sasaki, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. Uh, want to shit on the man when he hadn't done anything No, 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 no you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, got taken out by Sasaki, which was just really, really rough luck. Uh, no fault of me news, but... Yeah, he was running a decent race. He had pretty solid, consistent pace the whole way through. And he will feel aggrieved that he wasn't point scoring because he should have been. Um, I wouldn't say it was any kind of negative because he had a good weekend. But on to Argentina for Andrea Minho, where I do think he will do well. I mean, it was uh, negative because he lost some ground in the championship. He oh, should have oh, been a championship yeah. She should have been the championship leader. Um, but overall, you can't fault him for that. He did everything he could. And if he continues to uh, ride like this, he uh, still has a shot at the title. But he needs to stay out of this trouble. Yeah. But the fighting group was amazing. So much to talk about. But uh, there are a few honorable mentions, kind of, that I want to talk about. And first of all, the rookies. Daniel Algado did a great job. Uh, Ilya Bartolini did a great job. And um, I'm, I'm very, very happy to see those guys uh, grow up a little bit because I remember Daniel Algado last year in uh, the Spanish Championship. He was doing crazy things and seeing him succeed in the World Championship is always nice. And um, yeah, the next honorable mention I have was uh, Dennis Enchu because uh, he was, for my, uh, from, in my opinion, a little bit too aggressive. Not that he did anything wrong, but it could have gone pretty easily sideways. Um, but he 
can't blame the man if he uh, stayed on the bike and took nobody out. But you know what I'm saying? There was a little yeah. bit this feel of, okay, this could go wrong. Yeah, um, I, I very much do agree with you on that. Yeah, the rookies had a really good weekend this weekend in Moto3. Shout out Diogo Mojera as well, uh, qualified on the front row. It was having pretty good pace as well until he was forced to retire, I believe, which is unfortunate. But he's adapting the Moto3 very well, and I'm delighted to see that. Diogo Mojera is just a great, great young rider representing Brazil, which, of course, we all love to see. Haven't seen one since Alex Barros, so it's fantastic to see a Brazilian representative in the World Championships. Yeah, Daniel Holgado looked brilliant all race. Um, looked like he belonged in there, never got flustered, was always confident, and finished a fantastic seventh place. I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. Alea Bartolini, like you said, just fantastic race, solid, solid point scoring. One person who I'm actually going to give a shout out to as well is Scott Ogden of Michael Laverty's team. Um, I think he had a great race as well. You know, kept his composure to stay on track when a lot of other people crashed out or retired. Scored his first three points in the World Championship. So, yep, shout out to Scott Ogden as well. And shout out to all the rookies. You know, they all had a really great yeah. weekend. Yeah, I'm, I'm very satisfied with uh, the rookies in general because... They are there to um, to gain experience. It's uh, a different level in the World Championship, a track uh, that they never been to, and also Qatar, a track that they never been to. And it's great to see them uh, perform well. So I would uh, like to switch gears and uh, talk about Moto2. And man, uh, it's it's a story you could have written in Hollywood. And um, if it was in uh, in Thailand, it would have been even better, but man, Chandra, I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it Nobody coming did. at all. At Chandra all. And didn't see coming. He, he, uh, he took the thing and ran away with it. I mean, he had some tricky conditions and I guess it's easier to take a risk and make a difference when there are some raindrops and maybe Celestino Vietti and Aaron Canet thought a little bit about the championship but you still got to pull it off and he did amazing and um i'm beyond happy for the guy i'm happy for southeast asia that they got a grand prix winner there now great for the sport great for the team and also um all the all the youth work which is done in asia with the asian talent camp idimitsu is very very involved there to see these uh, things pay off It's great. It's great for the sport because let's be honest, we don't want to have always Spanish and Italian riders on the podium. We want some world championship riders with uh, riders from all over the world. So it's great to see. I'm really happy for the guy. And um, also he had an injury in Qatar, um, which prevented him from racing. If I'm not mistaken, he broke uh, some finger. I'm not remembering which one. But uh, yeah, to come back from an injury like this, amazing. So what's your thought on, on this victory? Ladies and gentlemen, Somkiat Lorenzo, everybody. Um, what a fantastic performance. It was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant, the fact that he, that he started on the front row. And he led literally the entire race. From the first corner, he took the lead and he just never let it go. He was absolutely brilliant, had a great weekend and an even better race. Um, 
there's not a great deal I can say about Samkhya Chantra. You know, he got the lead and he just never looked like letting it go. The closest he came to looking like losing the lead was in the last lap when he nearly crashed out. But apart from that, he yeah, literally... yeah, He had it under that, control. Yeah, exactly. Even then he had that under control, but he literally looked comfortable the entire race. At one point, the gap was something like I think over four seconds, if I'm not wrong, could have been even more than that again. I mean, just just a fantastic, fantastic race from Samkhya Chantra. I'm so happy for him that he is his first win. It came in Indonesia in front of the home crowd. Well, not home crowd, but as close to home crowd besides Thailand as he can get. And yeah, it was absolutely fantastic to watch. It really was. It's fresh to see somebody else win, especially somebody nobody thought would win. And yeah, you and especially after the race, you could see what it meant to him and to the Honda Itamitsui Asia team as well. So yeah, my utmost congratulations to Samkhya Chandra. Just a great performance. Yes. Yes, and uh, it speaks uh, to itself that riders like Celestino Vietti and Aaron Canet, uh, who in my opinion had an amazing race by themselves, couldn't catch up. I mean, uh, Celestino Vietti started uh, from P7 and uh, Aaron Canet from P13. And Vietti, he was again amazing. He is for me a very, very serious title contender. And um, man, he uh, he seems to had have made like a huge step from last year, because riders like Aaron Canet, you knew they were good, but yeah. they had to make this extra step, which was kind of the expectations for him. But Celestino Vietti, uh, he made a huge step. I'm really impressed. He's very level-headed, and um, had an incredible first lap. He uh, gained a lot of positions there, overtook. Uh, all the people in front of him except jack dixon he took care of it by himself and um and chantra went ran away but he did everything uh, he had to do for the championship because chantra is probably not a championship contender mm. and yeah what can you say again justin vietti he was amazing Oh, just a fantastic performance from Celestino Vietti. Um, yeah, had a very decent weekend overall, I would like to say. You know, always looked solid, especially for being a brand new track for everybody. He adapted very quickly, which was very impressive to see. Like you said, started in P7, stormed through the front of the grid to get to P2 behind Jake Dixon, or P3 behind Jake Dixon, yeah, because obviously Chantra led the whole race. But yeah, um, Vietti just had a great weekend. You know, in the Moto2 ranks, he's just stormed to the front of it. You know, I said um, towards the end of last season, you know, he started to really sparkle in Moto3 in the last few races, in the last rounds. But he has just looked so much better in Moto2. I think that bigger bike just suits him like a glove. It just fits perfectly. And he was absolutely fantastic. Some of his overtaking maneuvers were beautiful to watch. It was just such a great race overall. Again, not much more I can say because it was just pretty flawless. You know, aside from the fact that Chantra ran away from everybody, Vietti was the best rider on the grid by a mile. 
And that's just so impressive in a class as competitive as Moto2. And Aaron Canada as well, I'll say a quick word on too. How impressive was he, Leo? You know, like you said, started in P13, came back to finish on the podium. You know, that is championship quality comeback, you know. Just really, really good weekend. Well, not the best weekend for him, but a really, really good race day. You know, had his head screwed on, stayed composed, just just streamed his way past everyone and got a very well-deserved podium. So everybody on the podium was so worthy of being on the podium for slightly different reasons. Chantra for having the great weekend, Vietti because he's arguably the favourite for the title right now, and Canet because he had such a poor start but came back to finish third. Just amazing, amazing stuff. Yes, and I'm impressed that uh, both of these guys are so mature that they don't do mistakes, that they are consistent, which is really the key for the Moto2 title, which showed yeah. last year. Role was in many parts... Raul was in very, very many tracks faster, but he had too many mistakes and you have to be consistent and that's the deal. You can't get away with uh, things you can get away with in Moto3. So um, I'm uh, beyond impressed with both of them and I expect a great title battle. And also I expect Pedro to come into the mix once we are in Europe because Portimao, yeah. he had the tests. It's one of his favorite tracks. And he's he's behaving like a rookie. He is not the superhuman that he was in Moto3 mm -hmm. uh, last year because he's a rookie and it's normal. So, um, yeah, he did a good race. He gained a lot of experience and it's important for him to take each race as it comes and don't let... Uh, let the pressure pressure get to you, which uh, they're doing a fantastic job at uh, at this team from Macchiaio. And man, uh, I'm I'm really really excited for Spain because I believe that's when the uh, the real Pedro, which we love to see, will come back and he will have some amazing races uh, in Europe. So. I'm impressed, but he acts like a rookie because he is a rookie. Yeah, um, look, um, when it comes to the European races, we will see the real Pedro Acosta stand up. There is no doubt about that. Yes, that is an Eminem reference. I know what I'm doing. Um, no, look, Pedro Acosta, I thought was very, very good. I really did. Struggled with qualifying, as did pretty much everybody else. You know, that's not even a negative at this point. Everybody nearly struggled with qualifying. I thought he was very unfortunate with the crash under the yellow flag. You know, he wasn't. I didn't you know, like that either. Yeah, I didn't like that either. It's not like he's. It's not like he was Mark Marquez, who was absolutely pinning it when he knew there was a yellow flag. He was taking it easy, and it was a relatively gentle high side. You know, I, I thought he was pretty harshly punished for what it was. But even with that, he he had a very good race. I really thought he did. People forget that he's a rookie in Moto2. And the move from Moto3 to Moto2 is a pretty big jump. The bikes are totally different. So you got to give him some credit for where he's at. You know, at the start of the race, he was as low as P15. 
and he came back to finish in the top 10. That's a very impressive achievement. Had a fantastic battle with Alberto Renas throughout the race, constantly swapping that P9 position, and Pedro pipped him to the position as well. So I thought Pedro looked really, really good, even on the bike. You know, he looked very smooth, very composed. His overtakes were always very safe. And one thing I actually really want to give Pedro credit for is when he took the long lap penalty, he actually had the courtesy to let all the other riders know that he was taking it. And that is a big notch up for Pedro Acosta in my book because that was a really classy move from him. Usually people just go and take the long lap penalty and it's thrown into chaos and that's where you see crashes and so on. But to let everybody else know that you're taking the penalty and you come back in and still overtake them, that's still Pitley and Pedro in a way to me. And I will hold on to that. So yeah, um, I thought it was a very good race for Pedro Acosta, scored some really great points. Him and Albert Arenas were both really good. Arenas got another top 10 finish. But as for Pedro, the European rounds are where you will see him sparkle on that bike. But for the rounds uh, that are abroad, which aren't his tracks, I thought he's had a very good start so far. Yeah, totally agree. I'm satisfied and probably his uh, gesture with the leg meant, look, I'm taking the long lap, uh, see you in two laps. <laughs> <laughs> exactly and that's what he did you know one one thing i actually really whilst we're on the topic of the lord pitley and pedro one thing i like about pedro is that he doesn't endanger anybody with his riding it's something that i'm a really big fan of you know he has these thrilling overtakes but they never really put anybody at risk they're clean they're fair and they're fast you know it, it's the perfect style of riding You know, you don't have to go and bump into people or knock other people off track to get past them. Just time it perfectly, move in, keep it safe. And that's, that's what it is. You know, Pe Pedro Acosta is such a mature rider for how old he is. You know, he's only 17, 18, I think. And again, he's 17. someone else. He's 17 he will, years old. He will turn 18 uh, this summer, some when, I don't know uh, when exactly. I, I think it's in June or July, if I'm not wrong. Something like this. I don't yeah. know. Um, I mean, this is a 17-year-old kid who rides with the maturity of a 25, 26-year-old rider. And that's more that's something we need more of in all classes. So massive props to Pedro Acosta for the reasons I just mentioned. And yeah, he, he will have a very stellar Moto 2 season. Yeah, uh, I think he is more mature than Mark Marcus in many situations. So do I. So And, do I. Um, Again, it's easier uh, to be nice to the other riders if you're so much faster than them. But yeah. uh, generally, I totally agree with you. He is. He had one uh, mistake last year where he took Artigas out, but things happen. Yeah. But uh, overall, he's a very clean rider. I never heard anyone complain about him. He's good. And... Um, who is also very, very good, is uh, Fermin Alighier. Oh, He uh, finished in seventh, and he's seemingly the only one who can move that uh, Boscoscuro. He's amazing, yeah. one of my honorable mentions, and also Sam Lowe's finishing in P4. He, uh, he's consistent. That's what Sam Lowe's has to do, because he is a fast rider, he's shown that in the past and he just needs that consistency and it seemed like he matured there a little bit so i want to give props there yeah absolutely um 
I mean, I'm, I was so impressed with Fermin Aldeguer, you know, rode with such maturity, again, such confidence, a real common theme across this weekend for most young riders. Actually, I got to give them all credit. You know, he rode so, so well, rode confidently. And I'm just looking at the names here that he finished ahead of, you know, finished ahead of Tony Arbelino, a veteran, Pedro Acosta, Albert Arenas. Joe Roberts, Cameron, Cameron Bobier, Jeremy Alcoba, Jorge Navarro. Those are some huge names that he finished ahead of, and he really does deserve a lot of credit for that. And like you said, you made another excellent point there, Leo. That Boscoscuro bike, he looks like the only one who's actually leading the charge somewhat on that bike, and he looks like the only one who's actually getting to grips with it too. So massive, massive respect to Fermin Aldeguer. He's had a great weekend, and he will have some more great moments this season of this i have no doubt at all that's uh, actually a thought that i had today he's the only one who can get uh results with that uh Buscoscuro. Mm. but he has a three-year contract if i'm not mistaken and maybe that's the advantage that he has that he will get a bike which is developed specifically for him because if yeah. you're on a calex you can't request anything because they will have all the opinions of all the riders of course you can request them but they have to listen to 20 other dudes and find the best package which yeah. to be fair they're doing better than anyone else mm -hmm. but if uh, Boscoscuro manages to give Fermin Aldegier the perfect bike he can challenge for a title and this could be an advantage if they have the right resources and the right people which again I don't know but uh, yeah I'm really impressed and uh He will, he will have a bright future, I believe. Oh, yeah, no doubt whatsoever. Um, I don't know if you were going to mention him, but my main honorable mentions are actually Team America. Joe Roberts and Cameron Bobier thought they both had a great race finishing P11 and P12. Uh, Joe, um, Joe Roberts had a nightmare year last year with the Edeltrans team. You know, was just completely lost in the mix. And he looks like he's had a brighter start this year. So I really hope he proves my opening episode prediction wrong and he it doesn't end up being the disappointment of the year. That's something I want to be proved wrong on, believe me. I know it's strange, but I do want to be proved wrong. And Cameron Bobier, great result for him as well in P12. Uh, looks like he's he's getting that second season boost in the class. Uh was promising towards the end of last season. Looks like he's continued that momentum. So yeah, big shout out to Team America. Both their guys, well, both Joe Roberts and Cameron Bobier look like they're starting to get to grips with things. Yes, and I'm really excited what they will do in America where they have a little bit more experience. At least Cameron oh, Bobier was there last, uh, last year. He was great and he was getting to grips with the Moto2. So I can see it uh, and hopefully some of the American dudes can make it to MotoGP because it's it's good for the class and all in general if there's an American rider. So speaking of MotoGP, we finally arrived at the big boys. Uh -huh. Miguel Oliveira, take a bow. How did you experience it? Good Lord. Good Lord is all I can say. What a race from Miguel Oliveira. Um, yeah, Miguel was sort of uh, sort of slipped under the radar for most of the weekend, but he qualified very well. His free practices looked pretty solid. 
And he had a brilliant race again. It was like Portimao all over again. When he got in front, he just flew away from everybody else, made it look easy, made it look effortless. You know, those conditions for the MotoGP race, by the way, were horrendous. They were absolutely atrocious. You know, the first part of the track was pretty nice. And then they go by the beach and it's just storming in on them. And Miguel Oliveira showed a lot of composure to handle that as well as he did. You know, he had to fend off Jack Miller for four or five laps, but when he did, no one else looked like getting close. Um, thought he had an amazing race. Uh, this is his fourth MotoGP victory now. You know, he obviously had one with Tech 3 KTM, and now he's got three with the factory. You know, I really yeah, want to see Miguel... With, uh, Tech 3. Or... Sorry, yes, you're absolutely the correct. Portugal was uh, Tech 3. And oh, that's right, yes. Three. Yes, it, you're absolutely correct. It was with Tech 3. My point is with Miguel Oliveira is every time he's gotten a race win, he looks like he's going to kick on from it, and then he falls apart nearly in the next race. I want to see him kick on from this and develop a title charge because I think he's capable of it. I think he's talented enough. I think he's developed the bike well enough. And I really want to see him actually carry some momentum into the next rounds. And if he can use something like Mandalika and carry that through to the European, well, Argentina and the European rounds, then that will be great for him and that will be great for KTM. But um, taking the race in isolation, couldn't have asked for a better performance. Big congratulations to Miguel Oliveira. Yes, um, today I thought Miguel Oliveira is a KDM version of Maverick Vinales. Fantastic yeah. rider, on a good day unbeatable, and for whatever reason he's gone for the next couple of races. Um, but KTM seems to have a strong package this year. Brad mm. Binder again was good, and it appeared that his ride height device got stuck after the start which uh, prevented him from uh, finishing higher, but he still uh, managed to finish eighth. And yeah. it's good. It's totally fine. But um, thinking about it, that he could have uh, finished much higher if he had a proper functioning bike. And then he oh, he probably would have, yes. And uh, with the performance he had on qualifying, for example, or in Qatar, And with this bike, the KDM developed for this year, I can totally see him challenging for the title. It's uh, kind of a dark horse that nobody saw coming. Yeah. Well, the thing with KTM was last year, with the exception of Spielberg, when Lord Chad Bender won on Slicks in the Rain, KTM didn't have a brilliant year last year. You know, they were kind of a mixed bag had some good results, had some really, really bad results, and they were sort of somewhere in between all the other manufacturers. This year, they look like one of the best bikes on the grid. I don't know what Pit Byer and the team have done to that bike, but what they have done has worked. Like you said, Bender and Qatar looked fantastic, looked absolutely phenomenal. And here in Mandalika, they've looked really, really good as well. Miguel just tore away from everybody else. And like you said, If the right, if the, the if the height device hadn't gotten stuck, you know, I'm looking at the finishes here. You know, probably could have been sixth or fifth. Probably would have beaten more Bedelli and could even have beaten both of the Suzuki's out to round off the top five, even. So Brad Bender should be very, very happy with his performance given the malfunction at the start of the race. 
Miguel Oliveira will rightfully be delighted. And this has been a great weekend for KTM. It really, really has. Uh, they deserve so much credit. Like you just said, Leo, the package they've presented this year looks phenomenal. And I'm really excited to see where they go from here. Yes, and uh, I'm really happy with uh, both of the rookies. I mean, yes. Remy finished last. Not the best uh, thing, but... Um, the reason why I'm happy with them is because both of them didn't crash. Yeah. Both of them gained valuable experience in the rain. They never raced in the rain as um, all the other rookies uh, did or did not. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. It's, it's a learning process and uh, it, it was kind of expected that uh, Raul would be more sometimes more uh, in front and then more up and down you know and um, Remy as I um, told you in the preview uh, show as well seems to be a rider who takes his time but then goes um, and ups his performance and those valuable lessons don't crash don't injure yourself it is what it is you're a rookie it sucks maybe at the moment but uh it could have uh, gone way, way worse. So I'm happy with uh, both of, both of uh, the rookies. And uh, speaking of a rookie, which probably nobody saw coming, oh, is no. Darren Binder. <laughs> so uh, what's your opinion on Darren Binder? Mom, I am speechless <laughs> when it comes to talking about Darren Binder. What a race. Top 10 finish in his second ever MotoGP race. Look, massive applause to Darren Binder. Had a fantastic race. Um, you know, was, was in a little bit of nowhere in qualifying and just somehow came up through the rest of the pack. Looked really, really good. You know, he had, he had a brilliant, brilliant battle with Anaya Bastianini and Paula Spargo for most of the race. You know, they traded that 10, 10 to 12 positions pretty much all race. And he just looked really good. He genuinely did. There must be something with the benders and wet racing conditions because they just seem to thrive in them. I don't know yeah. what it is. Uh, but yeah, look, Darren Bender is going to get a lot of redemption from this. And look, I criticized him as well being moved up in the MotoGP. But there's a lot of people who have misinterpreted the criticism of Darren Bender because I know we both did. Neither of us, neither of us ever said that Darren Bender wasn't fast. Darren Bender's always been fast. The reason we didn't think he deserved to be moved up was because of his safety as a rider and being considerate of other riders. That's the issue. Darren Bender proved he looks really good in that M1 by finishing top 10 in tropic thunder conditions in Mandalika. All we have to hope now is that he's considerate enough and respectful enough of other riders to make sure everybody finishes. That's the issue with Darren, but I got to give him a lot of applause. You know, to be the third best Yamaha this weekend, you know, three of the four Yamahas finished in the top 10. That's sensational. Reato Vizioso didn't finish at all, so... Yeah, everybody I mean, could have been the third best Yamaha. Well, okay, fair enough. I take your point, actually. But you know what? I'm trying to defend Darren a little bit, I guess. 
mean, I, I mean, look at the people he finished ahead of. You know, Paul yeah. Spargo, Luca Marini, Banyaya in fifteenth. You know, just a great, great performance, and he deserves a lot of credit. So, congratulations to Darren Bender. Yeah. Um, again, my issue uh, with him stays the same as you mentioned. I don't uh, think he's slow. Everybody in MotoGP or in Moto2 and Moto3 uh, in general is fast. My biggest issue there um, is, as you mentioned, the safety because he had done some risky maneuvers. Well, they don't and, call you dive um, bomb enough. <laughs> yeah. And the second part is he didn't earn his spot. He should have been in Moto2, which is totally fine. He's a, a very good rider and maybe has a good future. But if we take every rider that is in Moto3 and is a little bit bigger and does good and put him in a MotoGP, this is pointless because there are people in Moto2 who are working their asses off. Look at Remy, for example. He's been uh, in the class for, I believe, six years, worked his yeah. way towards the top, and he deserved this spot. Raul Fernandez or did hmm? I would have given it to Iker Laquona. Yeah, yeah, of course. That would be my pick too, but... Um, but if it was someone what, from Moto2, what, then yes. Yeah, but you don't know what uh, the contract situation is. Uh, probably only Darren Binder knows. But yeah. uh, it seems like he had a contract uh, with uh, Raslan and he had no choice but to put him into the MotoGP uh, seat. But... From a general perspective, he didn't deserve it. He won one race. He, in my opinion, he should be in Moto Two right now. And these uh, these results, as good as they are, they don't change my opinion about it because he didn't deserve it. And if we put everybody uh, into Moto GP who um, who's fast, then we had like a uh, hundred riders in there because everybody's fast. But you have to prove yourself over and over and over again. And he didn't do it as simple as yep. that and nothing against the guy personally i have some issues with uh with his uh writing style especially in party mao that was a total red flag to me but um yeah i don't want to discuss this uh thing all over again but in general he is a good writer he's fast i'm happy for him that he's uh he's proving the critics wrong but i still believe he should be in uh moto 2 and I probably I will never change my opinion about that. But uh, yeah, a little uh, Darren Binder rant here. Yeah. Hey, it wouldn't, of, be, it wouldn't be the episode without us. Yeah. Um, speaking of Yamaha, um, Fabio Quattararo, amazing. Nobody saw it coming. He struggled with uh, wet races in the past and he has been amazing. And if the MotoGP race would have gone over the full distance which I don't understand why they didn't change it back after the rain because the track conditions obviously changed. Mm. From my understanding, they uh, cut down the distance because the asphalt was getting too hot. So they were scared that the asphalt will break. But uh, after the rain, it should be fine. But I don't know. I'm just sitting at home. Um mm. But yeah, if uh, there were those extra couple of laps, then Fabio would have probably caught up to Miguel Oliveira because at the end he was super fast. He found his rhythm and I was uh, super impressed because uh, yeah, I felt a bit sorry for him. He had such a great race, 
uh, such a great weekend and then for the race it uh, starts to rain which is uh, obviously or was his achilles heel and he proved me wrong he proved a lot of people wrong and uh, i'm really happy for him because he deserves nothing but the best he's a great character and uh, we need him to be successful hmm. yeah couldn't have said it much better myself leo i agree with pretty much everything you've just said um look fabio had a fabulous fabio had a brilliant weekend he really really did qualified strongly qualified on pole which i don't think nearly anybody saw coming and he had a fantastic race you know i expected him to be one of the people who would crash out and not finish You know, if, if you'd have bet on anybody to crash out because of their historical struggles with the rain, it probably would have been Fabio Quartararo. But he had a great race. He really did. His pace was strong. You know, I think at his lowest, he was in fifth. And then he came back, got past Miller, got past Zarco, and just looked really, really strong. I mean, I was watching the BT version of the race, obviously, because of where I'm from. And Neil Hodgson made a really, really good point. He said that Fabio was riding the bike like he was on rails. And that's such a good comparison because he just pinpoint accuracy is the best way you can describe his weekend. Every apex, every turn, every curve of the track, bang, 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 went through them perfectly. No trouble, no dramas, no hassles, no near high sides, not even any of that. He just looked really, really good. And I'm so glad you mentioned the last point that you made because I'll finish my Fabio segment on that as well. If there had been two or three more laps in that race, if not more, he would have caught up to Miguel because he was starting to cut that lead towards the last laps. Don't get me wrong, Miguel deserved his victory. I'm certainly not taking anything away from him. But I do agree with you. I think Fabio would have caught him if there was the full race length. I do think Fabio would have caught him up and he would have gotten the win. That being said, if you were, if we had Fabio Quartararo here right now, I have no doubt he will take that second place with both hands because that is 20 invaluable points towards his title defense campaign. He, he just had the perfect race pretty much because no one was going to catch Miguel at the point of the beginning. Pretty much had as perfect a race as he could have, got the Yamaha to work, And yeah, on to Argentina for Fabio Quartararo, but very, very impressed. Very impressed. Yeah. I'm also impressed with uh, Frankie because oh. if you look at the uh, at the classification, it doesn't look amazing. It doesn't look spectacular. But he came from way back. He had this stupid penalty uh, again, which I don't really understand, but it is what it is. And Those penalties after, were shocking. Yeah, and... Pretty much after uh, one lap or two laps, he had an amazing first lap. He was in this uh, sixth or seventh position and stayed there for the entire race. So I'm happy for the guy. Uh, he did great. And I wanted to point that out. And also, I feel sorry for Dovi that the bike broke down. Yeah, this just overall, this was a great weekend for Yamaha. You know, probably the best weekend they've had. Well, literally the best weekend they've had so far. Um, Frankie's, Frankie is an amazing rider. You know, he's one of my favorite riders. I love Franco Morbidelli. And let's not forget the year in 2020 when Joan Mir won the title. I think Morbidelli was the runner up. And people do yes. forget that. You know, he is title quality. Don't, don't forget this. 
just because he had a broken leg and he's had a little bit of a rough time catching back up, do not underestimate Franco Morbidelli. He is championship caliber quality of rider. He is elite and he proved that. I think that seventh was extremely impressive because Suzuki have been, this is where Suzuki should have been the whole time. They're finally playing up to their expectations and two Ducatis were in the top four. You can't really complain about that. So for Morbidelli to have a P7 in those conditions on his comeback tour, I guess, that's so impressive for me. I thought that was a great, great result for Franco. And as for Davi, you're absolutely correct. Very unfortunate end to his race that he couldn't finish because he did have some good pace uh, in the laps before he had to retire. But yeah, just great weekend for Yamaha all around. Yeah. And uh, you touched on Ducati there, which is still a huge mystery. So is mm. Ducati struggling? I guess you can't uh, really put too much uh, emphasis on a wet race because it's a wet race and Ducati historically has been good in uh, those kind of conditions. Um, but Peko struggled, Jorge Martin crashed. It was a disaster for those seemingly number one riders of their respective teams and uh, Jack Miller and Joan Zarco who are historically good in those uh, conditions I just uh, remember Lamar from last year and they wrote the Ducati like we knew they would so but maybe if the Ducati would be better then Jack Miller would have had a better feeling there. I don't know. That's just speculation from my point. But Ducati remains a little bit of a mystery to me. So let's see. Yeah, the um, the Ducati situation does remain elusive. I very much agree with you on that. You know, in the last race, um, it was Banyaya and Martin who were dominating and Miller and Zarco were pretty poor. And now it's the exact inverse. Miller and Zarco were the best Ducatis, but Nyaya was nowhere to be found and Martin crashed. It is a real mystery what goes on with Ducati sometimes, you know, because if you look at the quality of the riders and the quality of the bike, they should really be one, two, three, four, you know, and yet every weekend, two of them do brilliantly. Two of them seem to be completely in the, in the mist. But yeah, you know, Jack Miller had had a very positive weekend, which was much needed, especially coming up to a contract renewal year. He needs this year to be good or he will find himself out of his present seat. Had a great race, led for some of it, but then just uh, dropped back, never really let like getting it back. Arguably unfortunate to miss out on the podium, but Joanne Zarka was very deserving of it. Had a very good race on that Pramac very stable throughout, pretty constant lap times. They never really deviated too much from what I remember. And yeah, he had a great race. Um, to have the Ducatis three and four, it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, good results for both of them. But Peko Banyaya, you know, in P15, you know, the last possible point scoring position. I mean, below him, you have Maverick Vinales. I mean, that's where he was at, you know. And it's not been a good weekend for Pekka Banyaya. That's all really I can say about that. Um, struggled ever since Friday. You know, at one point, I think he was in P22. That's how low he was after, I think it was after Friday's session. So yeah, he's had a nightmare weekend. He'll want to forget this and move on to Argentina. 
As for Jorge Martin, just a bit of tough luck, really. Very lucky Morbidelli didn't run him over, actually, when he crashed. You know, slid out, completely trashed the bike. Thankfully, he's okay. But yeah, not been a great weekend for half of Ducati. Been a pretty good weekend for the other. Yeah, it uh, remains to be seen. Peko is a mystery for me. And also, uh, Jorge Martin, I expect way more from him. Yeah. Maybe they will figure it out uh, as the season goes on, but um, I'm a little concerned that it may be uh, too late, like last year, that yeah. they need to be on point from the beginning. But Peko made a few positive comments about uh, the direction uh, where they're going. So I guess it's uh, the same with uh, many other things in MotoGP. We will figure it out if we come to Europe and go to Jerez where they tested and go to those tracks that they are more familiar with. And um, yeah, then we will see the real uh, hierarchy of MotoGP, I guess. Mm. But those races overseas, they're important. They give as many points and you can't, you can't uh, neglect them and say, okay, I will figure it out in Europe. It doesn't work, especially this year with so many. So maybe last year it worked, but this year it doesn't. So Yeah, Ducati is a really, uh, really strange thing. But there are a few things I want to point out. First of all, massive congratulations to Peko and to Jorge Martin for saving those uh, almost crashes. Oh, yeah. In the wet, this is amazing. We saw a few uh, saves uh, with the rear, but man, this one where Peko pretty much tucked the front and... He managed to recover. I don't know how he did that. He probably doesn't know by himself. Um, mm. But yeah, it was super impressive. And Bastianini, the last uh, thing I want to uh, talk about uh, Ducati is Bastianini was a little bit disappointing for me. He uh, finished 11th, which was okay. But as a championship contender, I would... Uh, I would expect more. He had a good uh, starting position and the GP21 is a fully developed bike. It works in dry conditions. It works in wet conditions. And I expected more from him, period. Yeah, um, very much agree with that. I expected Bastianini to be around P6, P7 come the end of the race. So P11 definitely isn't the end of the world, but it is a little bit disappointing given the standard he set for himself this season. Uh, one can only hope he'll pick up his form in the following races, but for this race, he will definitely have expected to do better. I do agree with you on that fully. Yeah. Um, before we move on to Mark Marcus, I want to give a quick uh, thought on Suzuki, which is pretty much that Suzuki did what Suzuki does. They finish in P5, P6. They are decent. They do uh, do their job, especially Jormir, pretty much classic Jormir performance, occasionally on the podium, but always consistent. I'm impressed by Alex Rins uh, that he didn't bin it, which <laughs> is like a little backhanded compliment. But yeah, uh, he seemed to understand that... Um, that he has to uh, stay on the bike and if he does he's good so yeah. let's hope that he can continue like that but yeah i'm impressed by suzuki but nothing special nothing really to talk about there 
Yeah, I agree with that. You know, Alex Rins for once is no longer Alex Bins. You know, that is that is a name that I and some other people have given Alex Rins from time to time. But yeah, he had a very, very good race. Uh, you know, finished ahead of me in P5. Very impressive. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with what you said. You know, Suzuki, if you're a football fan and you're watching, you'll understand what I'm saying. Suzuki are kind of like a Europa League bike you know, they're good, they're decent, but they're not Champions League. You know, they're not yeah. creme de la creme, as it were. You know, they are, like you, you actually phrased it very well, they are where you'd expect them to be, you know, P5, P6, occasionally podium, but never really seriously challenging for the most part. They had a solid race, you know. Alex Rins did stay on his bike, which was nice to see. And the problem with Alex Rins, there was a rider, brief segue, is that he's so impatient on that bike. You know, it, the first opportunity he sees to try and overtake someone, he lunges, overdoes it, bends the front end in, and he's out of the race, doesn't score any po- thingy. Um, Rins and Mir are kind of on the opposite ends of the same yeah. spectrum. Rins is far too hot-headed and far too impatient, and Juan Mir is too patient and not hot-headed enough. And they need to start finding that balance because based on the quality of the bike, Suzuki should be challenging for P2, P1. That's really where they should be challenging. P5, P6, you'll take all day long, but you will think, what if? They do need to be challenging a bit more from where they are. Now, good result, especially given the weather conditions, but they need to start picking up the pace, you know? Um, so yeah, good weekend. Uh, Alex Rins. I mean, Alex, when Alex Rins stays on his bike, Alex Rins is literally a race winner. You know, Austin twenty nineteen, Silverstone twenty twenty. I think yeah, nineteen. Yeah, when he beat Mark Marcus uh, yeah. to the finish line was twenty nineteen. I mean, he pushed a uh, peak Mark Marquez. By the way, yeah, it, it was peak he- Mark Marquez. Yeah, he pushed peak alien Mark Marquez all the way and managed to pip him at the line. That is the quality of rider that we are talking about here. Unfortunately, he doesn't stay on his bike enough, and that's what he has to fix. Juan Mir needs to perhaps have a bit more urgency, you know, try and push into the podiums a lot more, actually. But yeah, like you said, you said it perfectly, Leo, and I'll end it with that. You know, they were decent. They were good. They were 7 out of 10. Not spectacular, but certainly not per. Yeah, I can uh, I can live with that. <laughs> um, I think they can. I, remains to be seen. I guess they will win. Uh, they will want to win. Um, but yeah, the big topic uh, I want to discuss uh, with you is Mark Marcus. Because we've spoken a lot about it and we were speculating a lot. For example, my opinion of the thing is that the Honda, the way it used to be, which was pretty front heavy with a low rear grip, was developed in that direction for a reason. And the reason was Mark Marcus. It sounds like a broken record to me because I said that too many times. But um, that's pretty much the point. And uh, I don't know if he's he's fully uh he fully agrees with the way honda goes because i believe that if it would be just him developing the bike that it will still be the way it used to and uh, he struggles massively to uh, get to grips with the bike 
Paul uh, seems to be very happy with the bike. The tires this weekend uh, aside, he seems to be very, very happy. And uh, I believe that uh, Mark is missing this front end stability, which resulted in three crashes, which prevented him from, um, from qualifying in front. And um, yeah, then the high sider uh, this morning, it was terrible. He is so lucky he didn't injure himself seriously because this looks like a broken collarbone minimum, broken ankle, whatever, broken everything. And uh, just to walk away from this is a miracle in itself. But considering that it is Mark Marcus with a broken body, first of all, it's even more impressive that uh, he didn't re-injure anything, apparently. And the uh, second uh, thing is that uh, he can't afford to have these crashes, period. Mm. You mentioned this earlier uh, in the previous show. He's one bad crash away from uh, retirement. And today he he got very, very lucky. I mean, where do I even start with this? You know, there's, there's just so much of this to cover, Leo, and you've done a very good job of doing it, I must say. Mark Marquez... Good Lord, he just he just hasn't learned. He just has not learned from Hareth 2020. I mean, I'm going to start with the bike first and then I'll get on to Mark because I really like where you went with the bike discussion. Um, look, the reason the bike is the way it is is because Honda can't trust Mark anymore. That's just the blunt reality. You know, it's all well and good having a Mark Marquez who can save the bike at 90 degree angles, who can come back from 200 mile an hour crashes into barriers and so on and so forth. But Honda need reliability and Honda need another rider who can pick up from when Mark is literally leaving the wreckage. And that's why that bike is a lot better now. You know, Paul Spargo last year basically said that the old RC21 3V was unrideable because only Mark Marquez could ride it. I mean, Takanakagami had good spells last year at LCR, and the only reason he had good spells was because he was he was mimicking and imitating Mark's front-heavy riding style. And the problem with Mark is that he's now so broken and so injured that Honda aren't going to build the bike his way anymore, because they've realized they have to put their eggs in other baskets now. This isn't 2018, 2019, people. You must understand this. This is critical. This isn't those years where Honda knew Mark would get back up and they can afford to rely on him and only him. Honda need to rely on other riders and they need to look beyond Mark Marquez now. Because I've said this, you know, you said I said this in the preview show and you're absolutely away from his career ending and I really really hate saying this because you know we love our sport and we love the good moments but Mark Marquez is one bad crash away from fatality and we have seen good riders and we've seen even better riders tragically lose their lives from much less severe crashes as well Mark has, I mean, he, I'm sort of wasting my breath here because he's not going to do anything differently, but Mark has to take it easy and he's got to be more careful on that bike. I mean, that's a 110 mile per hour high side 
and he's only walked away with a concussion. There is nobody luckier than Mark Marquez that he hasn't broken his neck or his back. Jorge Lorenzo, his career was basically ended from a high side like that. Mick Doohan was nearly paralyzed from a high side similar like that. Mark is not going to keep getting lucky. And I'm sorry I'm ranting on this, but I, I really do have to make a point here. Mark is not going to keep getting lucky with these crashes. One day he is going to crash again similarly like that, and he's going to paralyze himself. His career will be over or he will die. And I, again, I really, really hate saying this, but it's the truth. That man is like the cat with 11 lives, and he's used all those lives up. The fact that he got away from that is nothing short of divine intervention on the level of Valentino Rossi and Maverick Vinales when that bike went between them. That's the level of miraculousness I'm talking about here. Mark's not going to keep getting that lucky, and all it's going to take is one more crash like that, and he is finito permanently whether that's his career being over or something more severe. The point that uh, I the point sorry, the point that I want to end on and to tie it all back into is this because my rant will be over. Mark just isn't going to keep getting this lucky. And he's either got to get with the program or he's going to push that bike to the edge and he will fall over the edge with it. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, necessarily go this far. But um, because Mark Marcus has seemingly uh, an ability to, which sounds stupid, but he has an ability to crash and doesn't severely get injured. And um, he, he has a very, very well-trained body. So I don't know if I would go this far, but I agree with you. He's one bad crash away from retirement. And that's something he has to uh, he has to realize because this crash today, if he would have landed a little bit different on his right arm again, it would have it would have been a career and a period. And yeah, it's sad to see, but he seemingly doesn't learn. And what do you want to do? I mean, I mean I'm probably not the first uh, one to point this out. You are not the first one to point this out. And if he doesn't learn, then he has to feel. It is what it is. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not... I, I think people know this anyway. I'm not a Mark Marquez fan. I never have been. I probably never will be. I have a feeling you might be the same as well. But I don't want to see the guy paralyze himself or end his career or potentially something worse because he's acting stupid on a MotoGP bike. You know, we've seen guys like the Giro Cado, the dear Marco Simoncelli, have horrible, horrible endings because of things that were even out of their control. Mark is in control of this. He just will not learn. And he's got to mature on that bike. He really, really does. You know, people love him for it, and I understand that. But the the ear, well, the hallmark of Mark Marquez's career throughout Moto2, Moto3, MotoGP has been riding dangerously and riding recklessly. You know, he had that crash in Moto2 in 2012 where he hit the back of someone's bike and nearly blinded himself. 
what's it going to take for Mark Marquez to learn? Is he going to have to break his neck? Is it going to have to be something worse? I mean, he re- if this were any other writer we were talking about, they'd be retired already with the injury that Mark Marquez has. And I applaud him for having the courage and the strength to come back. But he's never going to be the same rider again. Even if he does win races, even if he does challenge for titles, you will never see the original Mark Marquez again because the injury was too severe. And he's one bad crash away. I swear to God himself, this is true. He is one bad landing. You actually phrased that very well. He's one bad landing away from his body giving up and shutting down on him. You know, he will always have the heart and the courage to take that punishment, to push the envelope and push it to the edge. But your body will not. Your body will only take so much and then it will shut down on you. It will give up. It will give in. You can't condition your body to take the kind of punishment Mark Marquez takes. And how he takes it is genuinely a thing of bewilderment. I do, I will never understand it. I genuinely won't. I mean, Valentino Rossi, the worst he ever suffered was a broken leg. Jorge Lorenzo had his career ended from doing what Mark Marquez did. So did McDuin. So did many other riders besides. How Amber, yes, exactly. And how Mark keeps getting this lucky is just, I mean, God himself must be a MotoGP fan and must be watching over Mark Marquez because any other rider would have had their career ended by now. And that's coming from someone who isn't a Mark Marquez fan. Someone in his team or in his family, his father, Santi Hernandez, someone's got to talk to him, Leo, because this, I'm promising you, and I'm promising everybody who watches this, this story, it won't end well. All it takes is one. All it takes is one. Yeah. And uh, one thing before we head to the next topic is whoever developed this suit at Alpine Stars deserves a race. Alpine, how many times have Alpine stars saved Mark Marquez's career in his life? Every time. I mean, and Shuey, shout out Shuey helmets as well. Yeah. Because the fact that he only got concussed from that is miraculous. Yeah. But uh, I want to uh, quickly talk about the other Honda riders and <laughs> uh, especially Paul. He was amazing during the test, during the weekend, meh. And he blamed it all on the tires because apparently they're running 2018 tires on 2022 bikes and he was complaining about this i understand his point i understand where he's coming from but it's the same for everyone and everyone has a 2022 bike so carry on and uh, perform and the other two uh, riders it feels to me like they don't even deserve to be in MotoGP gp anymore agreed I mean, yeah, Alex I, Marcus more than Takaki Nakagami. Yeah. But. Yeah. It's bad. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, we, I mean, I'll talk about Paul first and then go on to LCR. I like Paul Espargaro. I think he's a very good MotoGP rider. And I think he is starting to get the gist of that factory Honda bike. Um, why they're running 2018 tires on a 22 bike is just beyond my understanding and comprehension. I don't get it at all. But Michelin tires, I'm not a fan of anyway. I think they're trash. 
And I do think they should be allowed to choose Bridgestone tires as well. I always thought they were better tires. That's just my opinion and nothing more. Anybody wants to come at me, feel free to do so, but it is what it is. Uh, so yeah, look, Paul finished 12th. Not the best, definitely not the worst. But um, yeah, the... I, I think it's the fact that it was more the weather more than anything because Paul has had a very good start to the season. I mean, Qatar, we don't need to go over that again. And I do think in the European ranks, you will see Paul Espargo in those podium positions. I think he's adopting very, very well. I love, I love the point you just made about LCR and I'd really love to talk a little bit more about this. I really don't think either of those guys deserve to be in there anymore. I genuinely agree with you. I mean, Alex Marquez, they promoted to the factory Honda team. And let's be honest, it's because he's Mark's brother. Yes, he's the, he was the Moto2 champion, but come on, people. We all know the truth behind this. Let's just be real and call it what it is. As for Takaki Nakagami, it's because they need a Japanese rider in the world championships. Good rider, you know, very nice guy as well in his own right, but has the mentality of a, you know, a wafer. He just crumbles the second there's any sort of remote level of pressure. I mean, I know, I'm know i sure this is an episode we'll do at some point, and I do look forward to it. But I'd have Iagora in that team before. I'd have Takaki Nakagami. Takaki's had his chance for too long. Unfortunately, he just hasn't done anything with it. As for Alex Marquez, we share the same opinion on this. And yeah, the only way I can sum it up is the shoulder shrug. There is nothing more to it. Yeah, uh, I have... Two opinions about these two riders. The first one is Alex Marcus with, will stay at Honda um, as long as Mark Marcus is there. Yeah. That's my opinion, unless he starts to perform. But uh, given the results he's showing, he will uh, not be staying at Honda past the Mark Marcus era. And uh, the second thing is that uh, Takaki Nakagami will stay as long um, as they haven't got another Japanese rider who's better. And I'm eyeing on Ayogura. Maybe next year, maybe 2024, I don't know. But, yeah. What, what do you want to say about them? They just had too many opportunities and too many failures. And, yeah. yeah. It, it's sad. But even with the new Honda, which is supposed to be more rider-friendly, they can't do anything. And they have a 2022 Honda. So what do you want have, to do? Yeah, the only thing I can say at this point, and I'm sure this opinion might change, if I was, you know, Takeo Yokoyami at this point, yeah, the director of HRC, I would drop Alex Marquez. I would bring in Iker Lacona and give him a chance in the LCR Honda, maybe. And I would change Nakagami for Ayagora, because Nakagami's just taken up a place at this point. And in MotoGP, especially in 2022, you can't have hangers-on. You just can't have this. Yeah, that's an episode we will probably have in the summer break, and I don't want to discuss it extensively. Uh, I have a different view on Ikaliko Ono. I believe it's good that he's in uh, Superbike right now. But uh, yeah, generally, I think those uh, customer teams need to be used to develop young riders like Ducati right. does with Jorge Martin or they did with uh, Peko and Yamaha did with Fabio. You know, these yeah. kinds of things need to happen and they're 
should not be a placeholder for people who are just in MotoGP because they have an older brother. I mean, Mark, uh, Alex Marcus had success in the low classes. He's a two-time world champion. I don't want to talk shit about him. Uh, I just don't yeah, but still with Peter feel... Ramon. Yeah, I just don't feel he's improving, you know? Yeah, and he's had a... Like you said, he's so many opportunities too. He had a couple of good races uh, in 2020, and I thought, okay, this could be promising, but in 2021, not at all. And this year, it uh, doesn't get any better. So, under the um, under the current circumstances, I don't see him as a from a realistic uh, perspective. He will be in MotoGP, but from my perspective, he shouldn't be there anymore. Yeah. Couldn't have said it any better. Yeah, um, but again, this is a topic we will discuss uh, extensively during the summer breaks. And the last uh, thing I want to talk about is Aprilia. There isn't much to talk about. Uh, Maverick, uh, outside the points, he will need some time with Aprilia, I guess. And um, yeah, Aleish, ninth, nothing special, but okay. Yeah. Yeah, Again, look, the shoulder um, shrug, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, if this were an emoji thing, it would be another shoulder shrug. You're absolutely yeah. correct. Aleish, you know, Aleish has kind of made seventh, eighth his own sort of spot. You know, that's generally where he is. Not great, not terrible. It is what it is. As for Maverick Vinales, um, you know, we've talked about Maverick Vinales extensively on the show. Um, yeah, I mean, he finished, what, 16th? Um Mm, you know, I I definitely think give him more time, give him to the end of the season, especially see if there's any signs of improvement. But you know, he was at the he was at yeah. I don't want to rehash all history too much, but he was at Yamaha, fell out with them, came to Aprilia, and hasn't done anything spectacular at all. I mean, he has the V4 bike now, still hasn't done anything with it. I mean, look, time will tell at the end of the day, but certainly not impressive at all really just flat yeah what i want to see from him is uh that he closes the gap to elage if we yeah. see him progressing over the season towards more of the performance from elage then i'm happy if i'm maverick i wouldn't yeah. necessarily look too much uh, left and right of course you have to bring results but uh your teammate is always the first reference, you know, and yeah, he should uh, be closing this uh, gap. And if he can do fine, but if he can't, it's, uh, it's getting tricky. And it's sad because the dude is an amazing rider. He is so, so fast. And for whatever reason, when it's Sunday, he can't be fast anymore. Yeah. For whatever reason. Just... I don't know. It's yeah. It's, it's, it's just, just Maverick, you know? It's it's just the curious case of Maverick Vinales. It really is. And like again, I'm sure we'll revisit him probably quite a lot throughout the season for different things. But yeah, uh, for Aprilia this weekend, shoulder shrug. Yeah. Okay, so we pretty much discussed everything. The last uh, thing I want to do and uh, I'm looking most forward to is your pick for a meme of the week. So the floor is yours. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we have had a very, very good weekend of me making by Leo himself here. Um, just there's, there were actually a lot of picks that I could have. There were there were really a lot of picks that you could have said here, and I actually couldn't even pick one. So I'm actually tied for my meme of the week. Um, I really want to see what you've come up with, actually, because I'm very interested. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall now present to you my first candidate for meme of the week. And it's Anea Bastianini and the championship lead. Um, saw this, nearly spat out my water. Thought this was perfect. The office reference with Michael Scott. Uh, and it's perfect. You know, no one expected it. He definitely didn't expect it. And yeah, it's perfect. So what exactly is number two candidate for meme of the week? Well, I'm about to show you. And it is qualifying. Ah, okay. Now this I'm a massive, massive fan of because it just, if you didn't see Saturday's qualifying, please go back and re-watch it because it, the meme is perfect for it, you know. Fabio's fast again with the flamethrower. Alex Rins' bike literally on fire. Marquez crashes twice in five minutes. I mean, it, it, it's the perfect meme for the weekend. It really, really is. So... Those are my two picks. Thought they were thought they were both sensational memory by Leo himself. I don't know if you guys have a preference. Leave it in the comments if you do. What was your favorite meme over the weekend? But those were my two. They were both worthy of being joint meme of the week. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with your selection. I kind of uh, like them too, because uh, these uh, memes express my feelings in those situations. Because I still don't understand how Enea Bastianini still has the championship lead. No one and, does. Um, yeah, the other one um, here from uh, qualifying, I got up because on Saturday uh, I didn't bother to wake up early and uh, tune in uh, the TV, go on the video pass and rewatch it. And there are all these uh, things, all these headlines. You know, and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> what did I miss? And the same to, uh, today, uh, I get up uh, in time at uh, 4.46, my alarm clock went, uh, which there's a reason behind this number. Uh, my second alarm clock went at 4.51. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I got... Um, I got on the TV and the first thing uh, I saw was Mark Marcus flying uh, over to Japan. And yeah, pretty much same reaction. But I like I like your selection. I'm beyond thankful that you like them. And again, uh, thankful for everybody who uh, likes this because it's, uh, yeah, it became some kind of a strange hobby where I watch uh, MotoGP and... Uh, and start to talk shit about uh, riders and make funny things out of this. Uh, who would have thought that uh, we're here now? But yeah, uh, I like it. Maybe in the future we uh, can categorize that, make a Moto3 meme of the week, Moto2 meme of the week, and MotoGP meme of the week. But uh, yeah, last uh, thing, the one I'm most proud of is this one with uh, race direction and uh, 23 and 16 Let's uh, go. because they reduce the laps here you probably don't uh, understand it at first 
if you haven't watched it live but yeah i like those kind of memes you know i'm kind of proud yeah. of that one and yeah so we wrapped up an amazing indonesia weekend the next race is in two weeks in argentina if i'm not uh, mistaken yep which uh sounds like a mark marcus victory but don't want to spoil it too much if he makes it yeah if he makes it maybe maybe he's still in the air flying to argentina <laughs> They ain't gonna need to bring no plane for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, I had a um, I had a blast talking to you. I had a blast uh, watching Moto uh, Moto GP today. It's been a long day for me. I've been awake since way too early. I yeah. usually don't uh, get up this early for nothing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wish you a good evening. I had a pleasure talking to you. you Same to you, yeah um same to you amazing amazing episode wrapping up indonesia thank you very much thank you very much everybody for watching as well you know we massively massively appreciate it leave all your thoughts in the comments as well what you thought you know what did you think of indonesia what are you looking forward to most about argentina and yeah i'll see you all on the other side of the gran premio de rio hondo in argentina goodbye <laughs>